Welcome to Startup Happy Hour, sponsored by Content Allies. Grab a drink and join us to hear fun and inspirational stories from startup founders and visionaries who are making a positive impact in our communities and learn how you too can turn your new and exciting ideas into reality. Hey guys, welcome to Startup Happy Hour. This is Diana Chen. I'm your host and I'm here today with a special guest, a fellow Wolverine, David Silverman, and he is a product manager. So I'm really excited to talk to him about his work as a technical product manager at Catchpoint. We haven't had any product managers on yet, and it's that's always been a job title that I've been kind of curious about and not totally sure what it means. So really excited to talk to him about that. Hey, David, how's it going? Hi, Diana. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, go blue. Uh, go blue. Go Wolverines. Yeah, thanks so much for being here and taking time out of your Thursday to have a beer with me. Um, so I always like to start by asking just what, you know, what you're working on right now. So I know your big thing right now is being a technical products manager at Catchpoint. Tell me a little bit more about that. So yeah, so uh, Catchpoint does uh, digital experience monitoring. Um, which I know as startups go, it's not necessarily a big sexy idea. Um, but, uh, a lot of what we do is trying to predict and find issues and help them isolate, uh, companies isolate their issues, um, so that they can fix them on the fly, you know, stop getting angry customers asking why a website's down. Um, as a product manager, a lot of the work I do is constantly listening to customers, hearing what features they want to see in the product, and then working with our technical teams to ensure they get done on schedule. Um, and you know, in the right order. Gotcha. So like, what does a day-to-day look like for a product manager? So, um, day-to-day for me as a product manager is, you know, I start my day meeting with the various teams that I'm working with. So I'll meet with, you know, some teams working on the database, certain teams working, um, on some of our monitoring software teams on the front end, and just kind of get a sense of what the status is with all the different work we're doing across the platform. And then the rest of the day is meeting with different uh, members of the business team. It could be sales, customer support, meeting with other product managers, and constantly trying to refine our strategy and plan our roadmap going forward, knowing what I know about where we stand on each day. Gotcha. So you're kind of in like a cross-functional role where you get to interface with all the different teams in your company. Yeah, I think that you know the way I kind of describe to product management to my technical friends is I'm kind of the translation layer between business and technology. Um, you know, an executive might come and say, this is the feature we want. I'll go back, talk to the engineers, you know, give them three options. This is the different costs for time and money to do each of the three. They pick one, and then I go back to engineering, and we you know, form a plan and a roadmap for how it's going to roll out and how long it's going to take to build. Gotcha. So in order to be a product manager, first of all, is there a difference between technical product manager and just product manager? Um, so technical product means I kind of sit a lot more on the technical side. Um, as opposed to kind of t- doing a lot more customer discussions and trying to identify what features to build exactly. Uh, I'm more of the features kind of already been planned out by, you know, more business facing PM. And I'm kind of more closer to the technical side, talking to the engineers every day, um, as opposed to interfacing a bit more with customers. Gotcha. Okay. So my next question was going to be, in order to be a product manager, do you need a technical background? But it kind of sounds like, you would if you wanted to be a technical product manager, but if you wanted to be more on the business side, then could you do it without you know, knowing how to code or knowing any kind of computer science stuff? So this is something that I was definitely concerned um, 
you know, getting started, but um, I can at least speak to, you know, you definitely don't need to have a technical background. Um, you know, I have a CS degree and I found that to be very helpful, but, you know, on my particular product team out of the seven of us, I think only two or three actually have any formal coding, uh, you know, experience, um, whether that be, you know, as a CS degree, another engineering degree or working as a, uh, a coder beforehand. Um, most of our, you know, our product team did come from other fields um, or other areas of study prior to, you know, being a product manager. Gotcha. Yeah. And I, I know you can't go into too much depth about your, you know, the product in terms of the R&D and that kind of thing. So I'm not going to ask you for that, but can you just tell us a little bit more about the product itself as much as you can? Yeah. So um, Catchpoint, I find it to be a, a super awesome tool. You know, it, Part of the big thing I was looking for when I wanted to get into the workforce was working on a big problem. And Catchpoint, a lot of what we do is, again, as I said, monitoring and making sure that you know sites are up, everything's working, whether that's you kind of trying to access a uh, e-commerce site like Nike, or you know you trying to access your Gmail or your Outlook. We you know, partner with companies to make sure that their infrastructure is up and running, and are looking at it around the clock to detect even the slightest outage or the signs of an outage, and then helping their teams zero in on exactly what's wrong. Um, and so, you know, as a technical product manager, a lot of what I'm doing is I'm, you know, reading a lot of the documents of what are the actual, you know, protocols that underpin uh, the internet and internet communication, things like DNS or HTTP, things that we type into the bar that we don't really think about. And, um, you know, how can we better measure how each part of an internet connection happens? Uh, without getting too technical, that's kind of a lot of what we look at is, all of the different things that happen from when you type um, Nike.com into your browser bar and hit enter until you see that web page and how can we speed it up? And so, in terms of scale, you know, for some of these e-commerce sites that are getting a billion page views, you know, during holiday season, uh, you know, just alone, if I can help them speed up, uh, you know, one second, uh, that's you know over sixteen thousand man weeks of uh, time saved. You know, that's this type of the scale of the problem I love approaching each day. Yeah, that's crazy. I, has Hope ever talked to you about speeding up our travel blog website? Because we have been struggling with that for ages. Unfortunately, she is not, but more than happy to help you guys with that. I cannot believe she hasn't talked to you about that. We've been dealing with this problem for ages and we've tried everything. I mean, like everything that, you know, someone not in that industry, not an expert in that would try. <laughs> Uh, and nothing's worked. And I don't know like what the deal is if we have too many files or if we, uh, we, we're on WordPress and we kept changing our theme. I don't know if that has anything to do with speed, but yeah, I need to tell Hope to get on that. Um, so, okay, so that's all cool and good. I think it's a really cool concept and it's, pro it's probably something that, you know, people listen to and they're like, eh, boring snooze. But then it's like something that people deal with every day, like all day, every day. You're Googling stuff all the time. And mm -hmm. it's like people don't notice it unless it's broken. You know, then they're like, David, do your job. But until exactly. then, you just like can't even be grateful for it. <laughs> exactly. It's, you know, a lot of the tools we build, it's, you know, we're seeing data coming all of the time and 99% of the time, everything's working. But we have to help, you know, these engineers that work for all of these companies identify, you know, that 1% or that 0.01% when the request failed or the page goes down, you know, that's time and money on the line. I think for, you know, every second that uh, a web page loads slower, 
you know, you're losing 25, 30, 40% of your sales. And if you have an actual outage, um, you know, that's time is money. And, uh, you know, that's why reliability and performance, it's not something that I think a lot of people put a lot of value on, but, um, particularly at scale, um, you know, every part of an experience, a customer experience matters. And um, on, on the converse side of that, you know, we do a lot of internal monitoring and the push to COVID has definitely shown that, you know, not a lot of people were testing their backup systems. You know, Zoom was great to use when it was, all right, someone's out of the office for a day. But when every single person in your company is out of the office, you know, is Zoom performing to the standards, you know, you need is, um, are Microsoft Teams or Slack, are you, are those servers staying reliable? Are they meeting their end of the agreement that they're up 99% of the time? And, how do you check and enforce that? And, uh, you know, not big problems that we see pressing in the world, but I definitely think it's, uh, you know, as I said, that the size of the scale and the impact you can have is pretty awesome. Is this something that you've always been interested in, fascinated by, or is this something that you kind of got interested in after you started working at Catchpoint? Um, I think it, I've definitely always been interested in kind of the lower levels and peeling back the kind of layers behind how things work. Um, you know, always, you know, my, my favorite class in, in the CS degree was machine code and really seeing even the, you know, the processors class and seeing, all right, we've write, written code, but what's actually happening behind the scenes. And I think that this is a, you know, a natural expansion of that is, you know, we, we use the internet every single day and I, I'm get, get the joy of being able to peel back the layers and actually read and look at all of the various different things that have been written. 20, 30, 40 years ago and keep being improved today and that actually underpin all that we take for granted and be able to work at that level, um, I, I find a lot of joy in. Yeah. Is it ever just like a nightmare to dig through code from 20 years ago that maybe, like, do you, did you even learn code from 20 years ago in school or was it all recent stuff? No, so I wouldn't say necessarily code from 20 years ago. I will say, you know, the whole motto of quarantine is to try to improve yourself and uh, get better. And so I've been using it to read some of the you know, those original tech proposals on, you know, this is what the web, you know, the internet should be. Um, it's great reading to, uh, you know, use before going to bed. Uh, it's definitely very dense and, and does put, put you to sleep every now and then. But, uh, you know, if I can capture just a little bit of knowledge from reading that, um, you know, it'll make me better at what I, you know, what I have to do every day. It's a great attitude to have and add that to your nighttime reading list, guys. <laughs> All right. So tell me a little bit more about how you got here. Were you always interested in startups? Uh, were you always interested in product management or how, when did all of that start for you? Yeah. So I think I've always been inter interested in, you know, technology and entrepreneurship kind of, you know, through different paths. Um, I'd always been kind of doing small businesses and stuff on the side um, throughout high school, throughout college. Um, and from a technology perspective, you know, I'd always been interested in computers and why things were the way they were. Um, you know, I taught myself to program uh, and build websites um, from a, a pretty young age and had been doing various technical internships at startups up until I got my position here at, at Catchpoint. Um, as for product management, um, you know, I think I realized pretty early on in college I didn't want to be a programmer full time. Uh, CS is a, a very, very, very work heavy major. Um, you really, really have to love what you're doing. Um, and you really have to love coding and debugging and all of that hours and hours you're going to spend in the library and behind a screen. Um, and I knew I would have burnt out very quick. 
Um, and for me, I wasn't, I was more than fast. I was always fascinated with not just building interesting things, but building things that solved problems, uh, for people. Uh, I think that, you know, we, we took a great course. Um, you know, I took a great course in school where one of the assignments was constantly finding the why behind you want to do things. And I looked at it as the why behind early stage tech and entrepreneurship for me. And at its core, I think the why is helping people. I think the entrepreneurship at its, at its core is helping people with the problems they have. And for me, I am blessed to have to have the skills and technology um, and business to kind of see the problems. And, you know, the natural application for that was early stage startup tech. And so, um, you know, I was able to marry kind of those two interests of mine and that led me down that path. For sure. And so have you thought about starting your own company one day? Is that on the radar? Definitely something I'd, I'd like to do in the future. Um, you know, uh, there've been times where I've, you know, considered, you know, jumping and doing that. I don't think I've ever found the, I haven't found yet the, uh, thing that spoke, you know, that, that speaks to me enough to kind of jump off and go off on my own. I also know that there is so, so much left for me to learn before I could even go off that point of the deep end. Um, you know, 95% of what I do on, on a daily basis, um, at my current job, you know, wasn't stuff that I learned in school or in any class or in any internship. It's just stuff you learn on the fly. Um, and so, well, it's something I'll hope to do down the line. Um, you know, I find that, you know, being a PM and being in charge of a product and, you know, it's roadmap and it's development. I am kind of like my own mini CEO in a way of, you know, I have a, uh, you know, I have this, you know, I have this product, which, you know, is my mini company and, you know, I have to, I'm responsible for it. I have to make sure that it's getting its usage. I'm making sure my customers and my stakeholders are happy and that the developers I'm working with are happy and also working on fulfilling things and useful things as well. Yeah. That's funny. You said that because that's actually the last episode I recorded. The guy said, um, like as a piece of advice, he said, if you want to start your own company, go work at a startup first. You know, I think a lot of people let their egos get to them and they're like, nah, I just want to be a founder. But it's like, if you want to be a good founder and a successful founder and not a founder that has to fail 10 times before they get a successful company, then go work at a startup, go do the things. You can learn so much about the process. So when you go off on your own, you already know what you're doing. Uh, no, exactly. And, um, you know, startups always had a draw for me in the sense of it's a great way to trial by fire. Um, you know, what I'd be doing as a PM here versus as an APM in one of the bigger programs run by a, a Google or an Apple or a Netflix or any of the bigger companies, I definitely think I'm getting a ton more hands-on trial by fire experience. You know, it's not like I'm at Google where my product is a singular pixel on a page. You know, I'm sitting doing, you know, working on R&D teams in awesome areas and, you know, learning about our, you know, these core technologies, fundamentals to the internet and working on our database and really talking to engineers and talking to customers um, and having responsibility in a way that I don't think I would have really gotten, um, you know, straight out of college. And for me, I, I do really love the culture. Um, you know, the team at Catch One is awesome. We've all, you know, they've all been there for a while. It's, it's, it's you know, it's its own mini family and it's really awesome to be a part of, be a part of that and to be a part of growing something. That's awesome to hear. I guess when you put yourself in the shoes of a founder one day, um, a founder has to wear many hats, like all of the hats. And so no one is good at all of the things. You know, there's things that people are better at and not as good at, and you tend to either 
invest in education on the areas you're not good at, or you just hire someone out to do it for you. So when you put yourself in the shoes of a founder, what areas do you see yourself really thriving in and which areas do you kind of dread having to do as a founder one day? I think it's important to, the the most important thing is kind of being able to quickly identify what you don't know and identifying if it's something that is learnable or as you said, something I would need to hire out for or anyone would need to hire out for. Um, You know, I, well, I do think I have technical skills. I would really hope to have someone a bit more technical co-founding alongside me. Um, You know, well, I think I, you know, I think that, you know, sales is something I've never had to do. Uh, You know, it's something I have no experience with. Probably again, somewhere I would want to lean on a co-founder, another early stage employee. Um, You know, I think that when you look at companies that have succeeded more so than just having a great founder, it was that founder was able to attract the right talent to fill the gaps that they didn't have. And that founder was able to delegate really well and have an awesome team alongside them. Um, You know, I think startups can live or die by that founder in the early days, but they succeed based off of the team that gets built, uh, you know, around that founding team. I completely agree with that so much. And so then it's like hiring becomes a big issue too. And then you have to be the, you know, HR person and all of that. Um, Have you thought of any startup ideas that you'd want to, or products that you'd want to build one day? Um, you know, we, I think it's important to always keep kicking around ideas. Um, you know, me and friends of mine are constantly always coming up with little side projects and, you know, building them up and then, you know, killing them or moving on. If not as discovery, more of just as practice to keep skills sharp. Um, you know, throughout college, we had done a bunch of different ones from, you know, creating rewards programs for small and local businesses, um, so that they could take advantage of all of those great, you know, wallet features and contactless payments, et cetera. Um, you know, there was a uh, a friend of mine who did a, uh, you know, meat delivery startup where he made a deal with a farm out in Michigan and then, you know, actually delivered the meat uh, kind of drop shipping style uh, to students, um, you know, and all kinds of great ideas we have kind of kicking around at all times. Uh, I think that you know, particularly for getting into PM out of college or getting PM in general, I think it's, if you have that kind of portfolio, it can speak about trying to execute on ideas. You know, I've been around a ton of engineers who have just built a ton of really cool things. Um, it's easy to build something cool or technical or interesting, but I think it's harder to build something that solves an actual problem, going out and talking to customers, you know, doing that kind of research side beside, besides building something awesome, building something that's useful. Um, I think that's really what can set people apart. And again, keeping your skills sharp. Yeah. How did you go about learning all of that while, you know, taking all these CS classes? And then how did you find the time to actually build out these things for companies or like go and ship meat from a farm to students and do all these things while in college? Um, I think, first of all, don't sleep. Um, That's a... uh, one way to do about it. I think it's also, you know, I think everyone's always working on a side project or even taking advantage of the opportunity for school projects, you know, um, using, you know, if I was a coder, but I knew I wanted to be more than that, it was, all right, I'm in a group project. Let's sit down, decide what we're going to do at a high level, break it down into tasks, make sure we're all reviewing each other's work and, you know, trying to do, follow the processes of code development and kind of acting as that PM while also being one of the coders you're assigning work to um, within your classes, or, you know, if you're, have the option to take a more free form one, um, you know, go out and, you know, where you could be building a a final senior project, right? Well, 
as opposed to just building something interesting, technical, go out and talk to people, find a problem, and then, you know, hope, find a solution that is technical to satisfy the requirement, but have something you're also building and developing, you know, the user story. I am a shopkeeper that wants to do X, or I'm a student that wants X, um, and, you know, build a product based off that. And if you have that book of work alongside the technical, you know, the technical component, I think that can go a long way, not just for product, but as an engineer, you know, it shows that you're thinking more beyond just the actual code you're writing into the actual reason and logic behind it. Were there any classes you took in college outside of CS that you found to be extremely helpful? Just because I've been hearing you talk a lot about customer experience, and that's not something that most coders are concerned about or really even think, like probably doesn't even come to mind for them at all. So I'm just wondering like how you were able to, you know, come from a CS background, but then also be able to think more holistically about problems. Um, so I was CS through the liberal arts school at Michigan, which is a, a blessing a, that Michigan was, it offers that I'm very lucky and highly encourage it. Um, I didn't know you could do that. It was, is yeah, that so there's thing? certain schools that allow it. It's a, it's, oh, a, it's okay. still a BS, not a BSC, but, um, you know, it allowed me to take a bunch of awesome classes. One that I think was super important was I took storytelling as a, uh, as a class. I think the telling stories, truly, whether it's pitching, um, you know, every conversation or action you have is telling a story. And I think that was a very useful class, not only on how to pitch yourself, but, you know, on how to just talk in general. Um, taking one credit seminar classes where you learn and listen to founders. Um, you know, a lot of schools have those and it might be on a Friday at an inconvenient time. Uh, but, you know, we're in Zoom University now. I'm pretty sure you can live stream it or find the recording. Um, you know, listening and getting a ton of knowledge from people. Um, I also enjoyed taking complementing classes with maybe their equivalents in uh, other disciplines. So when I had to take, you know, a logic class for computer science, I took the equivalent in philosophy. So it's, you know, doing and and or statements, but doing that also from the English side of how do you take a, a written argument and break it down into the logical side as well. It's like philosophy kind of engaging your brains on all, yeah, kind of yeah, engaging your brain class. on all levels. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I like that a lot. Uh, I, I always like to ask like about my guest personal experiences in the startup world as well. And so I think for you, the one thing that stands out is just that you're really young and most PMs out there have years and years of experience in the business world, but you kind of started right out of college. So has age or, you know, just youth affected you at all in the workplace? I think a lot of it might be mental, but I do feel a lot of pressure on myself to have to look and act super kind of buttoned up and more professional then I think my personality would be otherwise because I'm concerned that by being so young, I might be looked off or dismissed easily. And I think, well, a lot of that is, you know, personal and mental. I think, you know, it's something that I know a lot of my friends feel across a variety of fields is, you know, when you come in and you're junior, you know, it sometimes can be difficult to be taken seriously, um, particularly when dealing with, you know, groups of people, especially when you have, as you said, zero experience. Um, so I think that's been, something that's unique and has definitely been a thing I've had to overcome. Uh, COVID's made it easier because the simple act of putting on a button down shirt makes me, you know, a bit more well-dressed on the zoom than 95% of the people I'm talking to. Um, but you know, it's, I think it's a constant pressure. Um, that's definitely there. Yeah, for sure. I, that's definitely something that I felt when I was in the working world for a while. I mean, I was 24 when I started at a law firm and 
you know, but I, and I looked like I was 18. So it was just hard for people to take me seriously when I'm going into this boardroom with a bunch of old men, you know, who've been practicing for 50 years. And here I am this, like, they're like, what's this little girl doing in this room? Who does she represent? (laughs) Those poor people. (laughs) And it's, but like you said, I think a lot of it is a mental hurdle. Um, And as long as you can carry yourself properly and show people that, you know, what, you know, I think it's not hard to gain that respect quickly. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think it also is great because it drives a a hunger to constantly prove yourself. Um, I'm fortunate there's a a great thing that we do at our company where for two weeks uh, in the year, we completely shut down everything across all departments and do a full company-wide hackathon where people get together from different departments and come up and build a project, anything they want. Um, Ideally, it's related to the business and, you know, as a, you know, PM, it's awesome to see what people come up with because it could be things and features that we're not even considering at the time, but then get really quickly taken into production. But, you know, you often see a lot of the younger, newer talent really take it as an opportunity to take the extra mile and build something truly awesome as a way to kind of establish themselves. Um, and, um, you know, I know that I would always use hackathons in high school and college as a way to really build something and add to my resume. And I think that, you know, the fact our company offers it is awesome. It's something I hope a lot of other firms do. Yeah, I, I've never heard of that before, but I love the idea. It sounds super fun. Uh, what's like one of the coolest things you've seen uh, getting built, you know, either at one of the Catchpoint hackathons or what's like something that you've seen in the hackathons you went to in college? Um, well, I mean, Catchpoint, one of the biggest ones is, you know, we do a lot of data visualization. And uh, there was a team that came out and said, as opposed to us predefining all visualizations, they built an entire way to do custom visualization. So anyone could come in and define how they wanted their data to look like. And it was, you know, something that we had talked about doing for a while. It had been on the roadmap and someone went out and and actually went out and built it. And very quickly that was, all right, that's something we're going to go in and build. Um, You know, in this last one, I was super happy. I was working with uh, someone who, you know, was out of marketing um, and they actually built and designed an entire user interface and user experience, you know, in a way they're wholly unrelated to. Um, and so it's honestly really impressive to see people work um, and go out of their comfort zone and work in roles in which they don't have experience in. Um, as for, you know, college and high school hackathons, there was a uh, a team that once built, uh, basically used, I think it was like IBM Watson and was live parsing the news and basically made an automatic annotation engine so they could feed in a reading assignment and have it come out completely annotated for them. Uh, I don't know if you've ever taken, you know, an essay class at all, but you know, when you're constantly having to read 200 pages a night, if I could get a, a pre-annotated copy, yeah, that's I would definitely be paying for. So that's, I don't is, know if they ever productized it, but that is something I would have uh, wished to totally, have. Totally, totally same. Is that, is that allowed? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I saw them build it and it was definitely something I, I emailed asking and never heard back, but I, I hope it was something they productized. <laughs> That's awesome. I would totally pay for that. But also like this kid, I hope he got all the use out of it in college. Oh, 100%. I'm sure his profs probably wouldn't even have known that he was using a tool. (laughs) That's amazing. I love that. All right. So tell the people who you are outside of work and all these serious things. Like who is David? What does David like to do? Um. I'm a, I try to say I'm an, I'm an extroverted person. Um, I try to be spontaneous and 
go off the beaten path, always trying to go out and meet interesting people um, and, you know, do fun and interesting experiences. Uh, you know, I like to travel, not as much as I know you do, MV, you know, MVMT blog, but, uh, uh, you know, travel around. I try to go see as much of New York City as possible, you know, fortunate to living in an awesome place. Not so much anymore, but uh, again, just try to meet interesting people and hear interesting things and from perspectives and ideas that are different than mine. And I think that's the best way to grow as a person. Yeah, for sure. How do you go about meeting random people? Uh, honestly, through friends of friends or just constantly going out and never going to the same place twice when possible. Nice. That's awesome. I like that so much. What's one of the, fav- the best places you've traveled to? Um, I was very fortunate to have gotten to, uh, study abroad in Madrid and constantly was traveling around, um, you know, that area and, uh, Porto, Portugal was actually one of my absolute favorite places to, to visit and, uh, interact incredibly great people, incredibly great food and, uh, just a really gorgeous setting. So that's awesome. Well, yeah, Portugal is weirdly one of I think it might be the only country in Western Europe that Hope and I haven't been to. Yeah. So I know, I know. I've heard so many good things, but it's one of those places where it's like, it's so close to the U.S., like especially from New York. It's only what, like a seven hour flight or something, seven, eight hour flight. And so we're like, well, we can always go whenever. So then we're never going to prioritize going. So, but. Whenever we do make it there, we'll have to hit you up for Rex. What are some Definitely. of your favorite spots in Spain that you went to? I mean, Madrid is one of the best the, one of the best cities in the world. I know a lot of people say, you know, go to Barcelona. Barcelona is a great, I think it's a great weekend place to go to. I think Madrid's like a, a real city. Um, probably biased from living in New York, so I prefer cities, but it's it's got a really great character, awesome places to go also really liked uh you know valencia is great uh barcelona is great to go uh Cadiz down in the south is uh really awesome they have a, a kind of a whole festival there that's tied with um carnival down in um brazil it actually originates from that area in spain um where where is that say that again Cadiz in the south of uh the country and then obviously in the uh in the north uh i love andorra um is awesome beautiful particularly in the winter um it is remote and hard to get to it if you can go there it's the some of the best skiing i've ever had in my life <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome i definitely need to check out spain more um i really want to check out well northern spain i haven't been to and then i really want to check out the andalusia region i don't know if you did much exploring around there but went to malaga a few years back and absolutely loved that city and like that whole area yeah so what do you do like day to day now that covid has dominated life and you can't go out and meet people and you can't travel and do cool things yeah i would say the 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 biggest thing is self-improvement you know our mission is to stay inside and be the best selves that we can be on the other side we are blessed to have the frontline people handling the craziness to keep the world running um, and the best we can do for them is to, you know, help make the world the best we can on the other side. And so that's constantly reading and learning, doing a, a ton of Khan Academy around myself out, LinkedIn learning videos to, you know, learn how to be a better PM, 
you know, Codecademy to keep my tech skills somewhat sharp. Uh, and uh, that's what a lot of it has been. Um, and then constantly trying to come up with ways to regain a lot of the little things, both professionally and personally, I feel like I've lost due to COVID. So professionally, I think one of the big things that's not been spoke about is for entry level people, it's been difficult to be a fly on the wall in a meeting. You know, it's kind of common corporate code for someone who's sitting in the back corner with a notebook of a conference room. All right, that person is clearly just there to sit, learn, and take notes. But on a Zoom call, you know, everyone's kind of got to be introduced and it's not yet corporately kosher to have someone just kind of sit and silently be in on a Zoom. Personally, it's trying to organize, um, you know, Zoom games with friends, um, have them bring friends in to try to meet people that way. Um, you know, we've been building little integrations on top of Zoom so we can embed games so we can all see them or, you know, all have a common Spotify playlist being listening into the background as we talk. Um, you know, little tech challenges again to keep skills sharp and uh, just use it to enhance uh, the experience of socializing with people. I love that. That's so funny you said that too, because I had just finished a coding boot camp like in, at the beginning of this year. And so I was fresh off of that when COVID hit. And the first thing I did when quarantine went in place was I was like, I'm going to code a Kane's Cup game so we can all play Kane's Cup on Zoom. And that was, that you know, you got to put your coding yeah. skills to good use. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, no, without a doubt. I think that was the yeah, the first thing I did when COVID hit was we built something that would, uh, I, was, I built the, the Spotify one. So it was, I could have my mic and my headphones and then I'd have Spotify and it would pipe in alongside my mic. So everyone was listening to the same playlist and, you know, we could still talk over it or I could pipe in audio from a, a game. So we could do, you know, Quiplash or something like that, you know, have that screen share and the audio shared everywhere and uh, various kind of games and stuff. Again, you know, there's more technically interesting things to build, but we found the problem at hand, which was we want to try to play games remotely and, you know, try to find the solution to it. For sure. Did you ever push that out or is that just like on your computer? That is a, a, a thing just for our kind of little friend group. Gotcha. All right. I guess you deserve it. You built it. We, we could look to putting it out soon. <laughs> I mean, you could sell it. You don't have to just give it away for free. Sell it for like one ninety nine on the App Store. I would buy that shit in a second. We'll see. <laughs> so I guess professionally, you you already mentioned, you know, it's been difficult being a fly on the wall on these Zoom calls. What have been other challenges for you working remotely? And I guess overall, do you more enjoy working remotely? Do you want to continue working remotely beyond this? Um, I'm I'm desperate to go back to an office. I think. I don't think that's unique to, to to me. I think it's a ton of people, at least amongst people I've spoken to of, um, you know, my level of seniority and our generation. I think it's, you know, it's very hard. So I've, I've mentioned the ones that are trying to sit on the wall. It's also, you know, there's the no longer the queue of you see a bunch of people going up to a meeting and you can't say, or people going to a whiteboard and talking, you know, you don't see that anymore. So you don't have the visual cue to know when to get, get up and sit and listen or to sit and engage. I think it's been a definite challenge. I think that, you know, I've also seen just, you know, from a corporate side, things that used to take a day because you had someone sitting next, you know, you knew where people were in the office, you could push things through are now taking three, four days a week. Um, 
And, you know, while I think that we as a company were incredibly well positioned because we had 20, 30% of our people working remote prior to COVID, um, that's still a very big jump when you go from 30 to 100. Um, and, it, you know, I've seen it even worse at certain friends' company where it was everyone was in office and then everyone scattered. Um, you know, um, also just personally as an, as an extrovert, it's very difficult. Um, you know, it's something that I had some, you know, team members of mine speak to where it's, you know, a constantly needing to, you know, especially with the lack, it feels like everything's one kind of super long day. Um, and that sometimes there's like a lack of motivation, um, that constantly you need to kind of push through and just be like, you know, I need to be human today. I need to get things done, um, in the face of just everything seemingly going wrong. Yeah. So what have you been doing to get yourself motivated and, you know, trying to act as much like a normal human as possible? Um, I think the key thing is I don't let myself be in sweatpants, uh, for zoom calls. You know, I try to have my camera on as much as possible. And I think that forces me to approach work with some level of normalcy. I think the other thing is kind of separating spaces and really adhering to it. So when I'm at, you know, my desk where I work, I'm only working. That's all I do there is work. If I want to kind of be on the internet and mess around and play, I actually physically pick up my computer and kind of put it in a different position. Um, I plug it into like an ex, you know, a different external monitor. Um, I'm very fortunate too. So I have like, you know, one I use exclusively for work and then I switch it. So I have one that is there for when I'm messing around. And so that sanctity of space causes me to have these kind of mental switches. Um, and then, you know, I'm, when I'm in bed, I'm in bed exclusively to sleep. I'm not on my phone for hours flipping around. And I think respecting that those boundaries um, kind of keeps me sane and keeps my mental health in, in a good place. Um, and there's, you know, it was uh, something that took me a while to adopt, but and since adopting has really helped me survive quarantine. I think that's such good advice for so many people out there. I'm first of all, very impressed by your level of discipline with that. I've worked remotely for the last like three and a half years and everybody I talk to is like the first thing when you hire remotely, don't hire somebody that doesn't have a dedicated workspace in their home. And I'm literally like, I literally work from my dining room table. Like that's, that's that. Sometimes I end up on the couch and there's just like no separation. But I think a lot of that comes from just the fact that, you know, in pre COVID times I'd be traveling all the time and just got used to working from hotels or like wherever I could possibly get Wi-Fi. Um, mm-hmm. But that, so that level of discipline is like so impressive to me. <laughs> no, uh, all credit to that idea comes from a, a great YouTuber, CGP Gray. I think uh, he gave a whole big motivational speech video about that. And, you know, I've seen some of my friends take it to extremes by physically putting pieces of tape uh, on the floor around their bed and say, you know, this is the zone or putting a piece of tape down the side of the couch, this is for work. And, you know, this is for when I'm not working. Um, it, it's very hard. It, it's very hard at first to respect those kind of areas of sanctity, but I think it's very, very important to do. Um, and yeah, I, it's, I don't necessarily do it hundred percent of the time, but the, you know, the days that I do it the best are definitely the days that I am most focused and, you know, have the most energy and drive to be productive. Nice, nice. Hope and I can both take a lesson from you on that. Yeah. No, All right. So I always, I like to ask every guest this, but if you, what is your biggest piece of advice for somebody who 
is just starting out in your field or who wants to end up where you are one day? Number one biggest piece of advice for them. Uh, the biggest piece of advice that I give someone trying to get into product is kind of guess what I said earlier is constantly be talking to people, identifying ideas, identifying problems and think about how you would solve them. Um, you know, if you can go into an interview with kind of a book of work of saying, these are things I've done, um, you know, or built out, or if these are problems I see and how I would solve them, or if a company asks you, you know, if these are problems, um, you know, take a company, find their market and, you know, pitch them actual things you would do to improve their product and give the logic behind the customer that they're helping or, you know, how they're helping their customers better or the pain points you think that they're addressing with it. I think that's a very strong way to go into an interview and a strong way to continue to build your skills, even if it's not, you know, even if you're not working as a PM directly. So if you're an engineer and you want to get into that space, go the level deeper of, you know, don't just build things to build them, think and focus on the why you're building them, who are you helping, um, you know, or even if you're in another, but you, if you're in a different space and you want to kind of get in on the business side, it's, all right, let me start asking around, am I seeing a problem in the world? All right, how do I go about and fix it? And it all starts from, I am a person that has X as a problem, or I'm trying to do X, you know, and all right, that's the problem. That's the user. How do I help that person? It all goes back to helping people and identifying solutions. I love that. If there was one problem in the world you could solve with some sort of business idea, and it's like the problem that you care about the most, and which most problems we care about the most, there is no solution, like world peace. Uh, but hypothetically, if you could viably find a solution to the problem you care about the most. What is the one problem that you would want to solve? I think it would honestly be communication. I think it's so much of human technology is built upon how do we transmit ideas in my head to an idea in your head. And, you know, we have different languages. We have different means of communication, whether it be text, video conference, phone call. You know, it's all trying to get to the ultimate goal of, how do I best share my ideas with you? And um, as we've improved on that technology, you know, through the internet, through all of these things, we've increased our collective IQ as humanity and uh, our kind of collective accomplishment and base of knowledge. And anything I could do to increase that goal or progress towards that goal, um, I think would be noble. I like that. That's awesome. All right, cool. So before we end here, um, are you up for playing a quick little game? Of course. Okay, cool. So we can either play this or that, or we can play the word association game. Uh, you are the host. I'm going to defer to you to decide. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> I normally let my guests choose because they're the guest, but uh, here we go. Okay. So let's, why don't we do, hmm, why don't we do the word association game? Sure. Okay. So I'm going to say I've got 10 words. I'm going to say a word. You just say the first word that comes to mind. Don't think about it. Don't explain it. All right? Oh, oh no. <laughs> you let me choose. You, cut it. you had a chance. You had your chance, and you let it go. All right, so here we go. Word association game. Chug some beer before we get started on this. Okay. Number one, startup. Uh, TechCrunch. Product. Manager. Tech. Computer. Superpower. Breathe underwater. Whoa, okay. I like that. Travel. So you just want to be a fish. Plane. I've never heard that. I've never heard anybody say that as a superpower that they'd want. Your number one superpower is you want to be a fish. Yeah. Do you <laughs> dive? Water would be awesome. Do you scuba uh, dive? No. 
Oh, yes, yes, I scuba dive. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there, well, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, where are we? Um, did I say travel? Plane. Oh, yeah. Coding. Terminal. Vodka. Reka. New York. Cab, taxi. <laughs> uh, bootstrap. I'm only thinking of the, of the bootstrap JavaScript library styling. <laughs> I know it's very nerdy. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> Last one. Passion. Project. Nice. Bam. You did yeah. it. That wasn't so bad, right? No, survived in one piece, I hope. Yeah, you did. You did great. All right. So why don't you go ahead and tell people where they can reach you if people want to talk to you more, uh, learn more about being a product manager, learn more about Catchpoint. Where can they find you? Where can they find Catchpoint? Yeah. So catchpoint.com for Catchpoint um, or Catchpoint on all of the various social platforms. For me, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, David E. Silverman and uh, at David E. Silverman on Twitter. So yeah, thank you so much for having me. Nice. Thank you so much for being here. This is a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. Yep. All right. Talk to you guys later. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Startup Happy Hour sponsored by Content Allies. If something we said today resonated with you, please share our episode on social media and sign up for our email list at startuphappyhourpodcast.com. Happy Hour doesn't have to end just because this episode is over. Continue the conversation with us at startuphappyhourpodcast.com or on Instagram at startuphappyhour.com.